Welcome to this edition of the Disciples Men podcast with your hosts, Greg Alexander and Alex Ruth. Thank you for joining us as we explore the many challenges of being man of faith in these challenging times. Disciples Men is a ministry of Disciples Home Missions of the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ in the U.S. and Canada. Let's listen in today's conversation. Welcome to the Disciples Men podcast. I'm your Associate Director of Disciples Men, Alex Ruth. And as always, we have our Director of Disciples Men with us, Greg Alexander. Greg, good to have you with us today. Thank you, Alex. Always great to be with you in these podcasts. Looking forward to our uh, conversation today. I am as well. Thank you for that. And we have with us a, another special guest uh, as we work our way through some of the, our colleagues at Disciples Home Missions. Uh, today we have with us Brian Frederick Gray. So Brian, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you all. So great to be with you today. And Brian, remind me, remind us, what is your current title uh, with DHM? Yeah, as with many titles, um, it goes on for a little while. So it took me the first several weeks on the job even to be able to say it all at once. So now that I put the pressure on myself, let's make sure I can do it. Uh, I am the Director for Justice and Advocacy Ministries at Disciples Home Missions. Um, and in addition to that, I'm also still part-time uh, working with Disciples Peace Fellowship as the uh, mission director there, the technically director for mission support and the peace intern program at Disciples Peace Fellowship. Uh, those uh, long titles are often fun, aren't they? It's a matter of, can I string all these words together out of my mouth at one time? <laughs> Amen. Brian, again, thank you for joining us today. As always, we'd like to kind of start out Help us get to know you a little bit. Tell us kind of how you got to where you are today, and then we can we can take the conversation from there. Amen. Yeah, thank you. What a generous offer and starting place. Um, I, I like to tell folks that uh, church camp was really where life got started for me. Grew up in uh, Texas, in the Southwest region, and in a little suburb just outside of Austin, Texas, called Round Rock. Uh, where I graduated from Round Rock High School and went to Round Rock Christian Church. So we made sure that everything had the, the same shared names out there. Went to, to camp at what is now Disciples Oaks. Back then, we just knew it as Gonzo or Camp Gonzales. And it was there at, at church camp that really my sense for the church, my sense for call, my sense for ministry all really emerged from there. Had opportunities to be in leadership as a youth because of that church camp experience um, that ended up uh, allowing for scholarships uh, that paved the way for me to go to Texas Christian University. Folks who are listening to this don't know right now, but I have my purple sweater on. I've almost always got some kind of purple on for my TCU Horn Frogs. And went to school there knowing that uh, ministry was the, the path that I was following, but really fully believed that it was going to be congregational ministry, that I was going to be a, a pastor in a local church, and maybe one day would be a senior pastor at another church, but really thought that congregational ministry was going to be the ways that I was serving God and living out my faith in the world. Uh, after TCU, went to Christian Theological Seminary for about a year and a half, and then ended up transferring to Vanderbilt Divinity School, where I finished up. There are some overlaps and some disconnects there, but I'm really, really uh, grateful for the opportunities that I had to be a part of higher education at several different disciple schools. Right. Uh, some of the relationships that I had both at Vandy and at CTS, as well as TCU, continue to be some of the most important relationships in my life. Many of my closest colleagues are folks that I've known going back now 25, 30 years to when we were all just getting started. And yeah. all of this are just starting to understand and navigate our calls. And I'm really, really grateful for those relationships. Vanderbilt met my wife, uh, the Reverend Dr. Susan Frederick Gray. Susan is from a different denominational tradition and background than the disciples. Susan is a Unitarian Universalist, and she was serving her first church out of seminary right as I was getting started serving my first congregation as a student minister. So we had always known each other as ministers. We were both serving churches right from the very first time we met and from the very first date we ever had. Wow. Had that first date, got engaged within three months and married within a year, and for anybody who knows either one of us, you know that neither Susan nor I make decisions that way. No doubt. <laughs> so it really was kind of a thunderbolt moment for each one of us. We've been married for going on 22 years now, and ministry has brought us all over the country. We're in Northeast Ohio, first uh, settled calls for each of us. Then we were in Arizona for about a decade after that. 
And then my wife was called as the president of the Unitarian Universalist Association, which is on par with the general minister and president for us, the Christian church, disciples wow. of Christ, the, the highest elected leadership office. And so the deal that Susan, our son Henry, and I made as Susan was discerning that call uh, to uh, serve her wider church was that I'd step down from the pulpit and be a stay-at-home dad with our son as we made that transition. We knew it would involve us moving from Phoenix, Arizona, all the way to Boston, Massachusetts. It would be the year that Henry was going from elementary school to middle school. And we knew that Susan, this was pre-pandemic, was going to be traveling a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And so wanted to be able to both support her and her ministry and her leadership, uh, but also our son at what was a really important transition moment for him. Yeah. And as we had that first year together out here in Boston, it was great. It went really, really well. And I, I missed congregational ministry. I missed the, the rhythms that come with the liturgical calendar. I, I missed the opportunities to be up in a pulpit as well as down in Bible studies with folks. I did find a local church to worship with, and that was really kind of neat to actually have a local church where my wife, my son, and I could all attend, and none of us were on staff. That was a new experience that we're grateful yeah. for. Yeah. But around about the end of that first year, we were starting to talk about, well, you know, maybe, maybe I keep doing this. Maybe I keep staying primarily as a stay-at-home dad with our son. And at just that moment, the opportunity very part-time with Disciples Peace Fellowship opened up. I was not a peace intern myself growing up, did not have a free summer when I was a young adult to serve as a peace intern, but have known peace interns my entire life, have loved and respected this program, and felt like this could be an opportunity for me to give back to the, the wider church, as well as stay plugged in to the church and to what was happening. When I was out here in Boston, Massachusetts, which for folks who maybe don't know, there aren't a whole lot of disciples congregations no. when you get to the Northeast. Yeah. Uh, we like to joke that there is half a disciples church in all of Massachusetts because there was a church merger that happened a handful of years ago. So there's one joint UCC and DOC church, and unfortunately, <laughs> it's nowhere near our apartment. Oh, wow. um, so the chance to be plugged in with the wider church, to be working with young adults doing leadership development, and honestly, to circle all the way back, to be plugged in with our church camps again, where some of the most holy and important experiences of my life happened, to help folks navigate some of that as well, felt like a wonderful opportunity. Yeah. That was six years ago now at this point. And it was that work and those relationships uh, that came through the Peace Intern Program and through the connections there, the work that DPF and DHM jointly do together that really kind of paved the way and opened the opportunity for the, the work that I'm doing now, full-time with DHM, helping to envision what uh, justice and advocacy ministries can look like for Disciples Home Missions, for local congregations, for regions, for pastors, for lay leaders, and being able to walk in relationship with folks that way. So yeah, that's sort of the, the thumbnail sketch of, of what got me from there to, to here and, and what I'm up to now. That's awesome. So, I, I, and I probably should have asked this before in one of our staff meetings when I when we talked. Is your wife still work in that capacity with a Unitarian Universalist? So Susan finished up her role as president at the end of June this past summer, 2023. But the way that position is built into the leadership structure for Unitarians is it's six years of service, one six-year term, no chance for re-election. But then it's followed by a full sabbatical year. Oh, awesome. uh, so we are, yeah, right now at this moment, at about the midway point in Susan's sabbatical year, which has been a real blessing, an opportunity for rest and for renewal, but also for discernment. So the Unitarian Universalist search and call process, I won't go into all the boring details, but basically it's like the med school match program. So yeah. all the congregations go in at the same time. Pastors enter into the process at the same time. It's all kind of laid out on the calendar. And that whole process just got started like three weeks ago. Okay. So we really are in full-on discernment season for my wife right now. The interesting piece for us is that anytime we have done a search and call process like this before, both congregational call systems, that's been very helpful for us, has allowed us to go in at the times that felt right for us in our ministry and in our family life. Every time we've done this process, though, Susan's been the one with a job first. And now we're in a position where, oh my gosh, I'm actually the one uh, that got called to a position and have a ministry. It happens to be a deployed staff position. So I'm able to be anywhere so long as I'm close enough to an airport to get to the important things that are also going to happen in this role. 
And so it's really empowering to be able to yeah. you know, walk with my wife in this time of, of discernment and call and figuring out what the, the full next steps are going to be. And to be able to say there's there's no constraints from my yeah. work or from my profession, from my call, but that I have a position that's going to allow me to fully support you and whatever your Paul call and position is going to be next to Really yeah, grateful awesome. for that. There's a, there are several uh, Unitarian Universalist conversations in the greater Chicago area, and they do a lot of men's work together. So I've done a couple things with them through the past couple of years. And if I had known I had a name to drop, I would have dropped another name. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Yeah, please, please feel free to, to use that anytime. It's really nice to know the connections that are there. And it's it's been fun for Susan and I that there are some folks that we know together and lots of folks that we know independent of each other. But there are only three Frederick Grays in the entire known world. And it's my wife, my son, and me. So. Wow. wow. You've, you've been in this position a relatively short time, Brian. How long now? Uh, it's months, not years. So what's what's the how long has that been now? Yeah, that's right, Greg. So September 1st was my start day uh, with DHM in this position. And it's really easy for me to remember because it's also my wedding anniversary. So it's been a little over four months in this position with DHM. My sense is there's a lot of disciples, a lot of disciple men, people listening who uh, have heard of our justice ministries and maybe have never had a chance to pursue that or, or whatever circumstances where it never was on their radar screen the way maybe it should have been. What would you say as a way of introduction about the work you do on behalf of DHM for Justice Ministries to, let's say you're standing in front of a group of discipled men, how would you unpack that? Amen. So the, the quick elevator pitch that I like to use with folks is to say that Justice and Advocacy Ministries empowers disciples to use our voices and our actions to promote greater justice and mercy in the world. Let me say that again, because there's many important words in there that we can kind of unpack together, too. But the Justice and Advocacy Ministries empowers disciples to use our voices and our actions to promote greater justice and mercy in the world. Uh, DHM seeks to bring a, a coordinated approach to influencing the church's work for justice in this way in three key areas. So those are refugee and immigration ministry, racial justice, and environmental justice. And hopefully at that point in the conversation, the folks are already starting to hear some places of intersection, some places for overlap, some places for further conversation because it's not even just that those three issues each kind of intersect one with another, which they obviously do. We, we, we can hear the ways that refugee and immigration ministries are directly tied to racial justice, that both of those can be directly tied to environmental justice and work, but also all of the ways that other issues can be plugged into those areas. And it isn't to say that we have these three kind of focus areas for DHM's work right now, and that it will always only be three and that it will always just be those three. I could certainly see opportunities where that is going to expand and where that is going to grow. And it's that piece of the welcome, of the invitation, and of the, the relationship that I think really has me the most excited to be in this position and to be helping DHM think through and work through what exactly justice and, and advocacy can be about. It was really important to me in the conversations around the position, during my interviews, during my discernment, that this wasn't simply a position where we are outsourcing justice work to one person, mm. right? It's not a, not a disciples model that way. It doesn't fit into who we are as a people and as a movement, but that instead that this would be a position that would offer opportunities for folks to be able to jump in and join the work from whatever spot they're coming from, to be able to learn about new issues that maybe they hadn't had the opportunity to before, to be able to share about what's already happening in their communities, in their churches, in their neighborhoods, in ways that they're plugging in, maybe in ways that we as the wider church haven't heard before, that we can amplify those stories, that we can build those connections so that somebody who's dealing with an issue in their backyard and, oh my gosh, there's another church halfway across the country that's working in the exact same ways and has been trying to figure out how to get this off the ground. What if we could help join those efforts together, building strength upon strength, giving opportunities to really show the wider world what it means to be in relationship with each other and to be you know, serving the God who calls us to be doing this very good and faithful work as well. Yeah, that's awesome. I noticed in your statement, keyword, at least 
caught my ear was the idea of empowerment. What I hear you saying there is that justice and advocacy ministries are really what we are called to do at the congregational individual level. And your role is, in partnership with others, is to create those things that help us know where we might join together, get our passions and things like that. Yeah, well, that's right. And it's where all of the words in our very long titles are important. Um, It was really, really important that this position is the director for Justice and Advocacy Ministries, not the director of Justice and Advocacy Ministries. So it's not that you know I am you know, sitting behind some great big desk pushing around all of these little blocks and pieces that's telling everybody where they're going to go and what they're going to do, uh, but that we, we are working in relationship with each other, that we are figuring out what are the things that this ministry is going to need to be able to thrive, to be able to reach out, and to be able, I'm so glad, Alex, that word empower resonated with you, because that's the other piece that we really want to make sure that this this isn't a ministry that's motivated by guilt, right? This isn't a ministry that's motivated by shaming people into doing. This is this is Jesus' work. Jesus' work is justice work in ways that we are able to empower folks uh, to live into the very fullness of that, ways that we are able to seek and find those places where glimpses of God's kingdom are breaking in all around us, And we can celebrate that and we can share that and we can invite others to be a part of that. That really is the beauty and the joy of this work. It does raise a question for me, and this I'm asking totally out of ignorance here. The three primary foci of your work, we have other ministries that are focused strictly on those. We have Green Chalice with the Environmental Justice. We have Reconciliation Ministry with Racial Justice and Disciples Justice Action Network that historically has been with the peace fellowship, you know, kind of the justice aspect of the church. Where do you connect? Where don't you connect? How does that work? Because several, several of those are, two of those are out of Disciples on Missions too. So yeah, yeah. Uh, folks can't see me nodding as hard as I am at everything Greg has just said in full agreement. But yeah, absolutely. We are really, really blessed and fortunate that DHM has been involved in some of these areas and these places historically, and that we are looking to take and continue that work to strengthen those relationships, to build out those resources, to be able to find ways that we are sharing that ministry one with another. And so I'm really, really excited that a big part of this job is getting the opportunity to work directly in relationship with the the great folks at Green Chalice and the amazing ministry that happens there, amplifying that work, sharing that work, inviting more folks to be a part of that work, helping the leadership team at Green Chalice to think about some of their strategies and pieces moving forward. There are some ways that the the justice and advocacy piece of environmental justice work can look a little bit different than what Green Chalice has uh, been historically up to and doing. And so we're navigating and figuring out exactly what those pieces are as well. And what are the ways that there can be really kind of permeable borders between that work so that folks who are coming into some of the environmental and creation care work via Green Chalice maybe can then have opportunities to be able to share and tell their stories in ways that could lead to a different public policy that would exist in their local communities and their states. Heaven help us throughout the United States and Canada and even the entire world. Uh, Similarly, uh, then with refugee and immigration ministries, similarly with reconciliation ministries, the ways that we can be about both building on and strengthening those programs that have been there, uh, as well as developing them into some some new areas and some new places, uh, some of which get to overlap some of the other work that exists within some of our other places. All of this is to say that the, the goal and the hope here is that Uh, We can get outside of sort of a siloed structure of thinking about the ways that we're living our faith in the world and can get to a place where we really are in relationship with each other, with these ministries, with the God who is calling us to serve in all of these ways so that folks can find the places that they want to plug in, the places that they can grow, and the places where their gifts and strengths can be most put to use. Thank you for that, Brian. That helps me. Hope it helps others. Alex and I have been quite intentional over our time together of trying to not talk in terms of Disciples Men being a program ministry. Amen. Because at least my experience in the church is is that programs are a box you tick 
you know, okay, I've done that. Now I can go on, but it doesn't have fundamental change or usually doesn't have a fundamental internal faith change. And one of the things that's excited me about your presence in DHM in the justice ministries is I've always had a sense that that was not so much designed to get people programmatically engaged as it was from more of a biblical standpoint to see how that should be fundamentally an expression of who we are as people of faith. And that was one of the things I always loved about the Disciple Peace Fellowship. I go back to Garnet Day when Garnet was in charge of that many years ago. Amen. Always felt that one of the beautiful parts of that, because it, it, it was challenged you at the core of who you are as a person of faith. And I assume it still does. Can you share with us some ideas that you have about how we move justice from a program box to tick off that we've done into uh, how does this transition or transform my life as a follower of Jesus into a much deeper expression of faithfulness for the world? Amen. Amen. Th- thank you for that entire uh, setup, Greg, and for that framing. I like to think that at my very best days, I, I live into what you have described. And so I am, am grateful for you sharing those words. Yes, to be able to see that this really is a, a full expression of, of our faith. I remember that I was at a, a training event that was a combination of uh, both faith-based programs and leaders, as well as secular programs and leaders. And it was somebody from the secular side of things who approached me a little bit curious, but also I would dare say a little bit jaded and said, well, gosh, it it has to be hard for you to be involved with some of the causes that you are involved in, uh, particularly some of the more progressive things that sometimes I see you at. And then to also be able to put that in terms of your own faith. And the question made total sense to him, and it made absolutely no sense to me at all. There wasn't this divide and disconnect between, oh, yeah, I I am out in my neighborhood and in my community trying to, to organize folks to be able to feed the hungry, trying to organize to get a, a new homeless shelter set up here in Scottsdale, Arizona, where the zoning restrictions are going to be so difficult that nobody right. can navigate it. Uh, out here living our faith in this way, it, it's not because I have this commitment to justice that is outside of my faith, but precisely because I am a follower of Jesus, because I take his teachings so seriously, because they have influenced and shaped and transformed my life in so many powerful and important ways that I have to live that out in the world. And so to be able to develop those resources, develop those opportunities, develop those places where people of faith can, yeah, faithfully learn about these issues, faithfully investigate things, particularly in times and in places that are so polarized right now, where issues get so knotted up and tied up and twisted. But to be able to sit down and even say, I'd like to be able to study a little bit deeper on just to pull one of the issues, right? Uh, Refugee and immigration ministry right now. The language has become so politicized and volatile that it is difficult even to carve out space to say, what would it mean as a people of faith to seriously study our own scriptures with a lens of immigration and refugee ministry? How might that impact how we understand who our neighbor is and and what it means to be a neighbor? How might that impact the ways that we are reaching out, the ways that we are studying, the ways that we want to use our our mission dollars as well as our opportunities for engagement, uh, the ways that we can leverage some of our relationships and the conversations that we can have? All of that, I, I think, are really important places that we can faithfully enter into these conversations. But I also don't want to put you know too shiny and smiley a face on it as well. I want to make sure to recognize that this is really challenging. This is really hard work. And the outside world is making it harder for us right now. It is getting harder to be able to even do simple Google searches to find the kinds of resources that would help folks to understand what's really happening on the ground with issues which hopefully is going to be another piece this office is going to be able to, to help with, to be able to use some of those relationships, to share out stories, but also to gather stories, to be able to share. Here are some honestly 
uh, fair and balanced reporting that's on some of these issues that isn't coming with a, a different kind of agenda, but is simply seeking to inform folks about these are the kinds of laws that are being considered in places. These are some of the ramifications and effects they might have. These are some of the ways that churches can be thinking about how can we engage and be a, a part of it. So making sure to hold all of that reality, as well as that opportunity within the, the faith that, that we have, the faith that we love, the faith that we're sharing, uh, I think really is one of the important parts of this role. One of the things that Greg and I have been particularly focused on is an honest assessment of the individual's role in some of these systemic things yes. that happen. And as I look at the screen, I see three middle to slightly over middle, sorry, Greg, uh, slightly over middle-aged white guys who are well-educated, who, you know, we've done all the things, right? And I appreciate it when I hear you say that understanding that this is not a shaming thing, that we don't shame people into compliance, that this is a, here are some of the issues and here's how we look at it scripturally and theologically and from a a perspective shaped by the person of Jesus, personal life and ministry of Jesus. That's particularly helpful because it does tie in, I think, with the way we've tried to approach things with Jesus' way, that we're not where we want to be, but there's not a necessity of shame there. It's just we're not where we want to be. How do we get there? And we get there through community, through relationship, through learning about who our faith ancestors are, Jesus and beyond. And I think all those aspects are important, especially in light of some of the things that are happening in wider society, certainly in the United States, and I would say at least in the Western world. Yes, 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 Uh, to each and every word of that. And it, it was one of the other reasons that it was so important that this justice and advocacy position is not simply an outsourcing position, right? To be able to say that, oh, well, wherever that one individual is going, that's that's where disciples justice is. One, because it's bigger than any one individual, obviously. But two, because the last thing that I want is for the face of justice and advocacy within the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ in the United States and Canada to be my face, right? It does not need to be a 40-something white guy whose beard is growing grayer faster than he wants it to, but <laughs> it still brings a certain level of privilege with me everywhere that I go. To be able to say that, no, yeah, justice and, and advocacy is happening on behalf of the Christian church, disciples of Christ, everywhere that disciples are engaged. Mm-hmm. And the ways that we can share that are ways that make us stronger, are ways that make us more faithful, are ways that are inviting us to widen the table mm-hmm. and broaden it so that there are more voices, not fewer that there is a more powerful testimony, not a a more limited one, and that there are ways that we are hearing and receiving from each other in ways that simply wouldn't happen if we were confining it down to, yes, this this is the work of one person, and wherever they go, they are the ones that are bringing that. So I'm really grateful for so many of our partners in ministry and I'm really excited for this moment within the Christian Church Disciples of Christ as well, that we have a number of new folks that are coming into new ministry positions that are seeking to do some aspects of this exact same kind of work inside of their framework as well. NBA just called a brand new justice and advocacy person to be a part of their work and their ministries. Disciples Overseas Ministries has an advocacy coordinator right now who is doing incredible things there. And there have been a handful of local disciples congregations who have hired associate ministers recently who have intentionally included the word justice in those job descriptions in ways that I dare say even five and ten years ago, we weren't having those conversations and weren't thinking about those positions in those ways. And in each one of those, to the very best of my knowledge, they're all relational positions, too. They're all about making sure that this work isn't being done in silos, isn't being done in ways that we are going to be using our organizing tactics against each other to protect our own turf, but instead are going to be using our faith to be able to take on the injustices in the world, not each other, the injustices in the world that really do need the focus of our energy, our attention, and as many folks as we can bring to this table as possible. Absolutely. 
I think sometimes we've made justice too broad a stroke. We use it pretty haphazardly in many ways. And I think what gets lost as you identify all these different justice advocates in their various roles is each one takes on a component that's unique and necessary. Yeah. And you know, there are a lot of commonalities that you all can find that strengthen your own work, your your advocacy work, your empowering work. But in many respects, you can't lump them into one and be effective. You've got to have a multifaceted sure. approach in order to tackle sure. the, uh, you know, the enormity of the injustices in the world that we try yeah. to deal with. And yeah. I think it's important from a church standpoint, especially when we're writing checks and we're trying to figure out how we support these ministries, because they're all important yeah. ministries, that you can't dismiss it by saying, well, we already pay somebody over at DHM yeah. to do this with our yeah. game. You know, why do we need right. someone at DOM? And the truth is that you all don't collide with each other in any way, shape, or form. You collaborate and cooperate with each other in many ways. But where you land in your ministries are in such multifaceted places that it does extend the reach. It extends it extends our ability, the tentacles that we have out in the world far better. And I'm, I was not aware of some of those positions, and I'm thankful that you lifted that up. I, I know how important they are. Amen. You mentioned some of the associate pastors, I believe one just happened in the Indianapolis area, and that person was a Disciples Peace intern, I believe. So as, as a matter of fact, that is correct. Yeah, uh, uh, you, You're even describing the church that I am a member of, Alex. So yes, <laughs> I, I can confirm everything you just said. Uh, I, the Reverend I, Sarah I was just hired as the associate pastor at Allisonville Christian Church in Indianapolis and was a former Peace intern who literally had their Peace intern training week at Allisonville Christian Church yes. years ago as yes. they were discerning seminary and what would be next and that their ministry and path has led them back to that congregation and now being able to help them plug into their wider community is just a, a beautiful and incredible thing. Our God is an awesome God. Amen. Talk for a few moments, if you would, about the Peace Intern Program. You and I were talking before we got started today about, I'm I'm a late disciple. I didn't grow up in the de denomination, so I've, I learn a lot of things as I go along. <laughs> and it was fairly late in my ministry. It took me probably 10 or 12 years before I heard about the Disciples Peace Intern Program. First experienced Peace Intern at camp as I was counseling or something at the camp that week. Tell us a little bit about that program and kind of the current state of things. How, how is it functioning in 2024? Yeah. Oh, what what a, a great open-ended question with the Disciples Peace Fellowship and the Peace Intern Program. So we are in our 49th year of the Peace Intern Program itself. Disciples Peace Fellowship, believe it or not, is actually the oldest denominational peace fellowship in the United States. Wow. We should be proud of that. Disciples. Yeah. We were one of the very first Fellowship of Reconciliation denominational affiliates in the Western world. Started over in Europe following World War I, came to the United States before World War II. This has been a long time mission and ministry on behalf of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, all of which is to say that peacemaking and peace building has been an important part of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. Uh, but around about almost 50 years ago, they were trying to discern what was going to be the best way to develop that next generation of peacemakers. And it was that motivation, that question that actually led to the development of the peace intern program and to the work with church camps. I love to stress that it didn't happen the other direction, right? It yes. wasn't just that people were going, well, church camp is great. So what's something else that we can do to benefit church camp? It really came out of this heartfelt, deep-seated, faithful desire to make sure that we are giving young people the opportunity to learn about what it means to be a peacemaker, to follow the one that we dare to declare as the Prince of Peace, Jesus the Christ, our Lord and Savior. And so that was what led to the Peace Intern Program. Because 50 years ago, if you were going to plug in and try to teach young people things about church, oh my gosh, church camp was the most natural fit. Bruce Irvin was our very first peace intern 49 summers ago, and he likes to tell the story that he went to Indianapolis to both learn about the job, interview for the job, get commissioned for the job, and get handed all of the bus tickets he would need to get all throughout the Midwest as he was performing the job all in the same day. We've gotten a little bit better with our process since then. Absolutely. 
<laughs> so now we still do all of those roles. We just, we space them out a little yeah. bit more. We're a little bit more intentional about it and around it. Any summer, DPF has three peace interns who are ambassadors for peace and justice. We open up the application portal for that, usually around about Thanksgiving here in the United States. So that young adults, you have to be 21 years or older to apply for the program. Uh, we found that if young adults get it on their radar before they go home for Thanksgiving break, it gives us a better opportunity to be able to engage with them. Those application periods stays open until the end of January. So right now we've got about two more weeks for applications to come in. We have a faithful selection team that's made up of Disciples Peace Fellowship executive committee members who have been in prayer for the folks who are applying for this position before we even knew a name for somebody applying for this position. That faithful, prayerful support is baked right in. We'll have a series of interviews that we'll do with folks. We will call the three folks to be a part of it. And then we'll do the important discernment work with them about figuring out what exactly their peace intern summer is going to look like. Still spend a lot of time at church camps. About two thirds of their summers typically involves them being on staff at a church camp someplace. We ask that they have the opportunity to be able to lead some sort of workshop on a peace or justice issue that they develop themselves. Uh, but we've also found that the opportunity to be able to engage in this justice and peace work exists outside of church camps, too. That's been a pandemic-informed learning for us. We lost the entire summer of 2020 when there literally wasn't a single church camp in the United States or Canada that was open to be able to send a peace intern to, and it didn't feel safe. We weren't going to send them there anyway. So the 2020 Peace Interns spent the entire summer working in relationship with other ministries, working with regions, working with local congregations, working with general church ministries in these areas and in these avenues. And we found that was so rich that we also try to include at least two weeks out of a Peace Interns summer where they're plugging in, doing remote work with some of these other organizations and ministries. If anybody is hearing that and thinking, oh my gosh, I have a great idea for uh, something a Peace Intern could do that summer, please, please, please email Greg, email Alex, email me, whatever it is to be able to get us in touch with each other. We'd love to hear from you to do that. Peace Intern Summer typically is about 12 weeks, starts with a training week still held at Allisonville Christian Church. Thank you, Allisonville, for your longtime support. They get the opportunity to meet directly with leaders from throughout the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, but also with peace and justice leaders and also with best practices trainers. So they meet with folks to learn about how to develop a workshop so that it's not just one long monologue or one very, very boring hour you've spent lecturing people. How can you make it engaging? How can you invite folks into the conversation? I'm doing a terrible job of that right now. <laughs> they also get the opportunity to go through the full uh, anti-racism pro-reconciliation training. They get an entire afternoon that is a justice Bible study where they end up with a 27-page searchable PDF that has all of these different Bible passages and different ways that you could use those as connection and takeoff points with folks. I had the opportunity to learn peace prayers and practices, not just so that they could teach them to others, but so that the entire summer they can be practicing that themselves too. We really want to make sure that throughout this program, this is both practice and preaching. So you are getting the opportunity to develop your spirit. You are getting the opportunity to figure out what are the things that feeds you and nurture you for this work so that at the end of the summer, you're not exhausted from it, but you're raring to go with all of the new skills that you've developed. So we also then at the end of the summer, after they've gone to these camps, after they've been a part of these remote work week projects, we get together again for a closing retreat. That is an opportunity for literally the only three people in the whole world who know what the experience has been like to get together and debrief with each other, to follow up with some of those mentors and trainers that they met at the beginning of the summer, and to be able to think through together about, okay, I've just had this life-changing experience, so how is my life going to be different as I go forth from it? It's beautiful, holy, wonderful work, and I've been really, really fortunate to be a part of it. Those cohorts continue to be in communication and shaping each other. For many of them, it leads to graduate school coming up next, or it leads to a first call in ministry that's happening. And then they continue to be resources for each other. Honestly, some of them for entire lifetimes 
it's really, really an amazing program. We've had some incredible uh, disciples leaders over the years who have gone through the program. And so we're really, really grateful for all of those folks and all of the ways that the DPF is uh, helping uh, create a path and a way for those relationships, for that work, for that work of the spirit to be alive among us. Can you, off the top of your head, is there a certain percentage of the over the, over the years uh, that ended up going into ministry from the DPF program? It's a, it's a great question, Greg. It's somewhere between about a third and half of them who go into what we would call uh, traditional areas of, of ministry. Any number, though, of folks who have actually gone through this program, many of whom maybe don't go through an, an ordination track or through a seminary track, are still plugged in to life and leadership and ministry in the wider Christian church, Disciples of Christ as well. So even to say half at that rate, we would be severely underestimating the number of folks that really are doing incredible work on behalf of the denomination. I was going to say, in many respects, those people who did not go into ministry and still carry, still let that torch guide their way, probably have a greater impact than... And their circles, and many of us do in the church, or many of those pe- people do in churches yeah. uh, in their yeah. as, in their ministries. And yeah, it's just really exciting. You've done you've done a great job with this, Brian. And I'm so thankful that we have you leading the way, and that still such a wonderful, viable ministry of our church. It is it is a great piece that we have. Yeah. Amen. And, and one of the, the exciting pieces for us is that the 50th anniversary, that's going to be when we are all together again for General Assembly in Memphis. And so look forward to some really exciting stuff coming from DPF to celebrate that 50th year and to be able to, to gather together when we're in Memphis for General Assembly to have some, some extra celebrations there too. Well, that'll be awesome. Awesome. What, what are some ways, both for peace interns and in your role with DHM and Justice and Advocacy uh, Ministries, what are some ways that our listeners can get more involved, find out more information, or participate in those ministry avenues? Yeah, that's some of the pieces that we're rolling out right now. If people occasionally ask me, does it feel like you're building the plane while you're flying it? And I have to, in all honesty, say I'm not sure it's a plane. (laughs) Something is moving. Something is happening. But we are still figuring out what all of those pieces and ways are. That communication piece is going to be absolutely crucial and vital. Figuring out the ways that we can best not only share the stories, but share the invitations and share the resources with folks. Right now, Facebook is one of the primary ways that folks can connect. We've got a couple of channels right now with the DHM Facebook page, Refugee and Immigration Ministries at Disciples Home Missions also has its own Facebook page. Folks can search for and find us there to find some other ways to connect. We will be starting, though, a Justice and Advocacy Ministries uh, social media handle that's going to start showing up on Facebook, on Instagram, across a couple of other platforms as well. Hopefully that that can be one of the places for folks to be able to to connect and grow from there. Uh, We are also trying to find some of those primary places that we can uh, really plug some of the resources in for use and study inside of the life of local congregations, inside the life of regions. So I'm really excited that right now, Alexis Tardy, who I know was on this podcast recently, as well as Sakina Hamlin, who is the advocacy person at Disciples Overseas Ministries, and I are working on redeveloping a Poor People's Campaign for Kids resource with the very intentional point of making sure that this can be an entry point for youth but also that this can be an entry point for their adult sponsors, for the folks in the life of their church who are also a part of supporting and developing them too. So exciting pieces are going to be coming from that and being able to plug in to our DHM newsletter, which we are hoping to be able to be a little bit more regular and robust in some of the ways that we are sharing those invitations and opportunities. The other piece that really has been a great joy for me as I've been getting started in this role is being able to have conversations with folks. And so if folks have an area of ministry that really is important in their congregation, that they feel like really could be an example or an opportunity for us in the the wider church and the wider world, gosh, I would love nothing more than to be able to, to get an email or a phone call to set up a Zoom room together so that we can talk about it and so that we can build out some of those relationships in some of those ways as well. 
few years ago, you invited folks to be in prayer for and send notes of encouragement and goodies and that kinds of stuff to the Peace Interns. And we just so happened to have two that were from Illinois, Wisconsin. So there was an incentive to make sure that I was involved in that. Does that still go on? And if somebody is interested in that, how do they get a hold of that information? It does. It does. Yes. Thank you for that generous reminder as well. We call them peace intern pen pals. It's mostly because alliteration is helpful with marketing. It unfortunately is not because it means that you and the peace intern will be corresponding with each other all summer, but is a way for folks to be able to, in a very real, tangible, mailable format, show to the peace interns that they are being held in prayer and care throughout the summer. So if folks go, the website is disciplespeace.org, all one word, disciplespeace.org. There on our menu bar, you'll find a Peace Intern Pen Pals link. It's a really simple form that you fill out. There's a couple of different options that folks can do. If you, if you want to send something to all three of the Peace Interns, well, you can sign up to send them one letter. You can sign up to send them one package. You can sign up to send them things throughout the summer. And then we do all of the follow-up work with you afterwards. So you'll get an email that comes that has all of the correct contact information, the right mailing addresses for where stuff will go out. And I just, I, I cannot tell you how much this means to the Peace Interns. Yeah. It is amazing for them. In many ways, you're, you're out at these camps, you're at these very public places, you're surrounded by people all summer and yet you're also on the move. You're going from intentional community to intentional community. There are times that it gets really lonely. And when all of a sudden you hear your name at mail call and here comes a box from somebody that you have never met any time in your life before, or maybe it's somebody who you, you know because you're from the same home region together. Maybe it's your own pastor. That happens sometimes too. But to be able to get something that literally shares with them, we're in this with you. We're in this together. Here's some candy to share with your small group. Here's a little note of devotion. Here's a prayer that's important to me that I want you to know I'm praying for you. Whatever way folks can express that care for our peace and terms, it goes so, so, so far to helping empower them and strengthen them for the summer work as well. So yeah, thanks for giving me the chance and the reminder to, to share that information too. I just want to piggyback on that for a second. When I was serving as regional minister of Kentucky, once in a while, every great once in a while, I'd get a card and it would be a card from so-and-so Christian Church's prayer group. Wow. And wow. all the people would sign it and it would say, on this time, we stopped and prayed for you and your ministry and your family. Wow. Regional ministry, you get a ton of mail. And that, when I would get something like that, that literally would stop my day. Yep. Yes. I, I literally, Amen. I literally had to sit there and recompose myself to think that those people who have no clue who I am or if I'm even worth their prayers yeah. took the time to yeah. pray for me and then acknowledge it in such a way. So I just say that it does matter. Oh, it, yes. it doesn't matter how insignificant you think what you're doing is. Yeah. It matters. So yeah, to our listeners, please give prayerful consideration to doing the pen pal ministry with uh, this summer. Yeah. I'm just sitting here thinking my little congregation is going to do that. So uh, they'll, yeah. they'll have a blast with that. So that's cool. It, Thank you. It is super easy to do. Like Ryan said, I had all the information. It was simple. You know, it was easy to do. And I was blessed because we had a couple that were from Illinois, Wisconsin. I was been able to develop a, a deeper relationship with one of those peace interns. That has been not necessarily that mailing, but there was yet one more piece of connection that fostered building that relationship. And we really are going to live into being the church writ large that we think we are. This is one way to do it. And like Greg said, it's a very important way to hear, to hear that we're being prayed for and cared about. It's that spiritual work that's at the, the heart of, of what we are doing. And it's giving the invitation and the opportunity for folks. Yeah, I'm, I'm praying for you. Yeah, I'm, I'm literally sending a blessing over your way right now. Not in a way that's supposed to feel like braggadocious or whatever, but in a way that just extends that care and, and extends that opportunity. I'm very similarly, Greg, I, I have a folder in my filing cabinet right over here that still has uh, handwritten notes and words of thanks and appreciation that are in there. On the really bad days, I still every now and then crack it open to pull one out of yeah. there as a reminder. 
And on the really good days, I feel like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm actually living into the fullness of those prayers and those blessings that other folks have yeah. been extending. It, it's not me. It's it's the work of the Spirit working through all of us. We should never, ever underestimate the power of prayer that in the, Amen. In the, the networking and connectivity that prayer brings us and spiritual connection. It is, in my judgment, I think we've played that, played that down too much. And that's one of those things we need to we need to be elevating as a part of our our shared ministry. Absolutely. Well, Brian, I can't tell you what a joy it's been to have this time with you today. It's Alex and I are so blessed to have you as a colleague, or for us to be your colleague in ministry, and we uh, we're really thankful for that, and so appreciate that. And if there's anything that disciples men can do to support your work, you know we're here. You know you can count on us to do whatever we can to, to support you and. Uh, Prayers with you, with Susan, with Henry. You didn't mention that Henry is starting a new program on the West Coast at the Chapman, which we had a chance to meet Henry this summer at the generals, this past summer to General Assembly. A neat young man. I know you are so proud and justifiably so. <laughs> well, he, he deserves another shout out because at our last staff meeting where we happened to be in person, you were able to share some filmmaking wisdom to somebody who's not making films, me, but who is doing some video production and is going to make my videos better. It already has started to make my videos better. So Amen. he's already making Amen. an impact in a broader term. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm so, so grateful. Henry, you, as a parent, you just want your kids to find their way and their place. And as he was going through this college search, he said, oh, my gosh, Dad, you know, not only do I want to go to film school, but there's this disciple school that has one of the top film programs. And I could go to school and I could be a disciple on campus and I could do all of these other things that are there. And my heart is just filling up and bursting <laughs> as he's describing it. But he also loves being able to take you know, the very technical tools that he is learning. For listeners, my son is an aspiring filmmaker. He goes to the same high school that Matt Damon and Ben Affleck and Casey Affleck all went to. So there's this huge media arts program that's there. He's had this wealth of experiences and opportunities there. And he loves being able to share them with the church loves being able to do editing work for DHM videos and loves being able to share ideas for lighting rigs and other things that folks can do to bring just a little bit more care and uh, beauty to the work that they're doing on behalf of the church and trying to share the good news. And let me very quickly say as well to, to Greg and Alex, I am so grateful to the two of you. I'm so grateful for the conversations and the relationships that, that we have had over the years, the work that we've been able to do, but more so the work that the two of you are doing, the leadership that you are giving, not just to disciples, men, but to the entire tradition, your faithfulness, your stewardship <clears throat> makes such a difference and means so much. And from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Very kind. Thank you so much, yes, Brian. Very kind. Thank you, Brian. Well, thank you both for the conversation today, and we hope that those of you who are listening will join us soon for another edition of the Disciples Men podcast. See you all soon. Our special thanks to our good friend, the Reverend Dr. Dean Phelps, for providing the special music of this podcast. You can discover more of Dean's music at deanphelpsmusic.com. And you can learn more about the ministry of Disciples Men on Facebook and through DisciplesHomeMissions.org.